I don't get the Bible. I don't get it either. <laughs> okay, more Q and A. Um, ah, Sterling says I wondered about the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew twenty-five who are waiting for the bridegroom. Mm. Figuratively, I suppose they are members of the faith from that age, which is about to come to an end. But I guess some polygamous Christian offsuit offshoots would re <laughs> would readily misinterpret these passages in an exploitative way for their own good. <laughs> they could see the virgins as literal simultaneous fiancés, but were they? I would think of them as bridesmaids in a wedding more so. What's your opinion? And could there be such misapplications in the FLDS groups? First of all, it's troubling when a father hears their daughter say offsuit. <laughs> it's like a command she uses to well-dressed men. Offsuit. Offsuit. <laughs> uh, I do, though. <laughs> See? See what I have to endure? Okay, listen. Uh, the parable of ten virgins, you're right. It was uh, picturing the uh, coming great and dreadful day. It was a, a parable of that. The word uh, virgins doesn't necessarily mean a, a woman who hasn't had sex. It usually does or can, but it also, Alma is the name of the, uh, is the Hebrew word for virgin, and it means a uh, young maiden. So, and Delaney pointed out uh, that these are bridesmaids. And they're there. And that's what the whole thing is. Now, FLDS and the LDS, when I was young, these leaders would borrow from that and they would try to tie in polygamy. So you're right. But bottom line, you want the model for marriage. Forget all this polygamy junk. Just look at the Garden of Eden. There's your marriage. That's how it works. You want to do it God's way. It's one man. It's one woman. It's sort of insane that that's, when I think about it, that that is used as... A reason to get married to them there's 10 virgins yeah. waiting for to come i read it as coming into the like coming into the party yeah, yeah. well why not, are they there why do they have the lamps they're what not fiancés they want to interpret that they are you can use the Bible to interpret anything. Yeah, it's terrible. So what we call exegesis. It's a terrible exegesis of the scripture. It's weird to call it exegesis because Jesus. Exegebus. <laughs> it's Jesus. It's not Jesus. Exegesis. <laughs> okay. I'm going to start calling it exegesis. <laughs> Exeyeshua. <laughs> Exeyeshua. That's funny. Jacob asks. Jacob, but the heel catcher. <laughs> Sean, I'm watching season one of Heart of the Matter on YouTube. I love how you contend so boldly with the false gospel of the LDS, but I notice an alarming pattern. When and you, I hate the word alarming. <laughs> when you talk about the LDS and their doctrine of salvation via obedience to laws and ordinances, you're right to, you're right to point out that it is a work salvation and contrary to the gospel of grace. Yet when non-LDS self-proclaimed Christians add works to the gospel, such as baptism, sacrament, etc., you quickly change your tone and talk about how we shouldn't separate the church over trivial matters and say only God himself can know if indeed the doctrine is heretical. Why do you sweep the false gospels of the Catholic Church, Church of Christ, 
etc. under the rug and justify them when Paul so vehemently warns us of the wolves who preach another gospel and another Jesus? Simply put, uh, Jacob, it's a good question. Uh, I came into doing Heart of the Matter here on live TV straight out of, and while I was still in the uh, Calvary Chapel School of Ministry under Chuck Smith, and I kind of go where I'm at. I don't try to do anything but what I believe and know at the time. And so you saw me then come right, while I'm still in a school of ministry learning the Bible, you saw me addressing what I had been taught. And it made sense. And I still believe that, that the LDS Church is a, a gospel that is works-based. One of the reasons I focus on that and not on Catholics and not on certain Baptists or these other people who also have works-based is because nobody is more works-based than the Mormons. That's one reason. I mean, you want to compare what the Mormons want to put their people under to do compared to the Catholics and everybody else? It's night and day. Okay, that's one reason. But the more important reason is I was young and I didn't know everything else. And so what happened was we went from 2006 to 2013. And then I started to see the works-basedness that was put upon Christians in Christian churches around December of 2012. When I saw that, we made an announcement, got kicked off the air, and we went from 2013 to 2023 studying and examining and looking at everything. And in fact, this is uh, opportunistic for our audience. If you're tuning into this, in uh, May of 2024, first week, we are going to relaunch Heart of the Matter. We're calling it Heart of the Matter Full Circle. And it means that I went from addressing Mormonism from that perspective to finding out everything I possibly could about the faith and now we're going to return to that and we're going to talk to it with more consistency, more uh, equanimity, more balanced approach and make sure that we don't treat the LDS any differently than the rest of these religious morons. All right. Awesome. Um, yeah, it seems like Jacob doesn't know your history and you and in addition to Heart of the Matter being released in May, he also has a bunch of teachings at cult.love and um, Yeshuans. Yeshuans, even via Sean McCraney that you, Sean that you could look up and learn about the new perspective and how it's, it's really far from season one of Heart of the Matter. I mean, we've done so much work uh, together to get this ready over time that we literally are like a worldwide conglomerate, so to speak, in that under the title, we're going to fly in May for everybody. You're going to go to that site and you're going to see all the different things that you can choose from to help understand what we've learned in those 10 years of still searching mm -hmm. to find out what's going on. Yeah. We'll explain more about that later. Awesome. Kyle has a question. Hi, I was watching the podcast and believe it was episode seven. Sean makes a comment saying he held a heretical view of the Trinity. I can't tell if this is a joke or not. So I'd like to ask for clarity on Sean's thoughts and understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity. Thanks and have a great day. Great question. When I said the uh, heretical view of the Trinity, I meant that the, the Trinitarian view is heretical. 
that it is heresy. It is heretical to what Jesus, the Bible, taught. And I have all sorts of endless evidences for it, but that's what I meant by the heretical view of the Trinity. The problem with the Trinity is I do believe there's one God, as the Trinitarians say, and I do believe that there is Father and there is Son and there's Holy Spirit, like the Trinitarians say. And I do believe that Jesus is God with us, was God with us, as the Trinitarians say. So I don't dismiss any of that, and that muddies the waters. The problem is Trinitarian also classically in a scholarly way represents something that I absolutely reject. And that is what is heretical. And what I mean by that is that Father, Son, Holy Spirit are three distinct co-eternal gods that make up the one God. Okay? I reject that notion completely. All right? So that's why I, I, I reject. And, and creedal Trinitarians their scholars know that that's what I'm rejecting, but the people think I'm rejecting three or that Jesus was God. And you, you, were, you said something about that, that uh, disconnect in the world about how the yeah. Trinity is one thing, but that the people don't even know what it is. Yeah, I feel like maybe to put it simply, like I understand your view of the Trinity to be what most people assume the trinity means right. but the doctrine of the trinity that scholars rely on is something that if most people who claim they believe in the trinity heard they would be like i don't believe that yeah. it's like i feel like your uh rejection of the trinity is like clarify is just clarifying what the trinity actually is yeah. Yeah. for people or it, what they think the Trinity they think is. It is yeah. yeah. And by the way, my daughter here who uh, is just learning a lot, she coincides right with James White, you know, today's best scholar on the Trinity. Uh, he says the same thing. He sat right out there on a stage in this building and said, people don't know what the Trinity is. Hmm. So what the heck are you enforcing it on them for? Well, and then he said, people believe the Trinity is what I say. Yeah. Then why are you trying to fix it? Yeah. You one guy making everybody, uh, you know, bull. It doesn't exist. Yeah. It's really weird. Yeah. Good point. And people, yeah, normal people who aren't scholars that hold on to the Trinity so much, it's pretty gnarly that they call you out. Yeah, all you got to do is question them. They don't even know what it is. They won't <laughs> even know what it is. It's like... Okay. Um, well, sorry. Well, one of the oh. great questions to ask uh, someone who says, oh, you don't believe in the Trinity, then, uh, then you're not a Christian. You're not saved. The question I would ask them right out the gate, and they could answer it if they're smart, but if they're not, I'd say, what are you going to see when you die? What do you, mm. you get access to God. You go to heaven. What are you going to see? That's what I want to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One God, three-headed monster, because three-headed monster is really where the Trinity comes from. Are you going to see a three-headed? That's how they actually painted the Trinity was one body with three heads. Oh, my god! Anciently. Is that what you're going to see? Okay. Then I don't agree with that God, but they don't know how to answer that question. I'll see who's on the throne. Is Jesus next to him? Mm. Where's the Holy Spirit? You know, they can't answer just reasonable, simple questions. Another question is what existed before everything. Oh, forget right? that. Because don't they, isn't that a big thing of Trinity is the physical body of Jesus has always existed like it, before. Yeah. Because they said he was in a spiritual body 
as the independent person, God the Son. That existed. God the Holy Spirit. God the Father. Three always existing, co eternal, co equal persons. Mm -hmm. Right. So then you say, well, what are you going to see when you die? Mm -hmm. And they just. Okay, well, Matt says, will you make your episodes longer? No. 30 minutes at least, please. 21 minutes max. That's nice of you to ask, though, Matthew. Because you care and you like our information. Thank you, Matthew. Yes, See how sweet the the feminine role brings to this? (laughs) It is nice. I'm tempted to do that. Yeah. Because Delaney, and I'm sorry, this is this is faking because we did this before. But Delaney, what did I always say to you when we were younger about going oh. to parties? I don't know. What did you tell us? Last to show up, first to leave. Boom, boom. Last you don't want people up. bored. You want to keep them going with good information and get out. 30 minutes with Delaney, a little bit long. <laughs> just kidding it's true though okay um sterling axe sterling asks axe 112 what did you say axed (laughs) i am really offended right now bad okay sterling asks axe Axe the book. That's the first word of the question. Acts one twelve talks about a Sabbath day journey away. A Sabbath day journey away. Is it some kind of mockery? What distinguishes a Sabbath day journey from a random day's journey? The distance that could be traveled should be the same. But in theory, real travel would count as work, which is forbidden on the Sabbath day. So then what's the phrase for? The phrase uh, refers back to a place where God said you can travel uh, this far. And we think that it was probably an addition by the Jews to the law, but it could be actually stated in uh, Leviticus. I can't, I don't know that. All I know is that it's in proximity to the tabernacle. So the Jews would build a tabernacle. Okay. It would be the center. And then they would encamp around it with three tribes, three tribes, three tribes, and three tribes. By the way, that's a cross. Have you ever noticed that? There at the center is the tabernacle, and you have three tribes of the nation of Israel. And a Sabbath day's journey was how many footsteps it would take for them to go and get back, by the way. Hmm. Go and get back from their homes to the tabernacle. And it was about a mile, right? It said in the commentary five-eighths of a mile or a kilometer. Five-eighths of a mile. And that was a Sabbath day's journey. Any more than that was considered work and therefore breaking the Sabbath day. Does the... So if they were to walk that same distance in another direction, is that work too? Like was the... Is the Sabbath day's journey also like an intention? Like they had to go to that specific place. I'm going to answer off my top of my head, just based on principle, but I would say God intended it for it to be, you know, this is where you travel on the Sabbath day to the tabernacle and back. Okay. Later, I think that they extrapolated that. And then the Jews said, you can go anywhere as Mm -hmm. long as that's not longer. Okay. Yeah. Got it. That makes sense. Okay. Sterling also asked, I'm open to think that the statement in John 3.35, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand, pertains to the resurrected and ascended Yeshua. 
But Matthew, who reports the words of Yeshua, who is still living with them, saying, all things have been handed over to me by my father in Matthew eleven twenty seven. So if he wasn't completely empowered in his flesh, then why did he say so? There's a lot to uh, include in this, and I'm going to try to make it short. The Jews talked in a way that is not like us. They talked more like a complex film where you would get the early ideas, the later ideas. You'd get them all at once. It's not chronological. So when Jesus was on earth and he would say things, sometimes he would speak in the terms of outside time and space. He would be talking about what God has done from the foundation of the world. Sometimes it would be in association with his incarnation, being in flesh and being with them. When, if you try to just take one approach and make it make sense, it'll never happen. That's why mm. we misunderstand the Bible so much is because we don't understand the way they communicated. And let me, I just, sorry, but I just feel like I have to say this. In the Old Testament, way after God created Adam and Eve and the nation and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and everything else, it says that God uh, established the heavens and the earth and put the nation of Israel, created the nation of Israel under it. This was after God created the heavens and the earth that we all see. Why? Because they talked of it as an economy. If you can't get these nuances, you're going to ask questions like what he's saying. Why was Jesus saying that all things have been put into his hand before he died? It's because sometimes Jesus speaks to uh, uh, things that haven't happened as if they had. And sometimes he speaks in real time. Like he'll say something that's like a statement about what it will be like in 100 AD after he's returned. or Yeah, he could like... say anything. Yeah, and you have to try to understand the context of the Hebrews mm. and what he was really saying. I The only thing, it brought up a question that like, specifically something like your argument on, is it Revelation? Mm. Where it's, he's coming quickly, or no, it's oh. Matthew. Matthew 24? Where no, he uses where quickly, it's like quickly, at hand. quicker, quicker. Yeah. That's all through the new uh, apostolic record where he'll use words oh. and terms like, yeah. But that's like very literal. Yeah. And that's Jesus talking. Jesus and his apostles all talking, using quicker, at hand, shorter, now in the Greek words, progressively as we mm -hmm. got closer and closer to revelation being given. So you're able to do that. And like understand that really literally because it's in this like large context of like you see it escalating yeah. and something like this one where it's, um, you know, the father loves the son is given. It's like a one single instance of a phrase that he said. It's like hard to place. And yeah. so we don't know. So it's aphoristic. And that's why exegesis is difficult and that's why we have 10 billion different interpretations of scripture and so you're right there are times when you read certain things and you have to say that's applicable to the day and time of that age mm -hmm. you have to make that decision and then there are times when you have to say he's talking outside of time and space he's doing something else there what helps you to make those determinations context of 
30 verses before, 30 verses after, and all of that. Mm -hmm. It has to come in as you read it if you want to understand it. If you don't, you are going to stand on things as literal, mm -hmm. and, and it becomes such a problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Good question, Delaney. Sterling. Good question, Sterling. <laughs> um, last question for today. Sterling asks... Sterling. <laughs> The disciples ask the resurrected and returned Yeshua, according to Acts 1-6. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Oh, I love this question. <laughs> Don't you think that they still instinctually think of a big victorious earthly kingdom? A theocracy which prevails over the superior power of the Roman Empire? Absolutely. <laughs> yes, they did. And they were under that impression while Jesus was with them, after Jesus died. Even in Acts 1, they're asking him, now are you going to bring the kingdom we've been talking about? Proving the kingdom wasn't there yet. Did you catch mm. that? Yeah, it wasn't there yet. Mm. When will the apostles learn that they've had the misguided idea of what the kingdom was after the Holy Spirit falls? Mm. This was before that they asked him that question. Mm -hmm. After that, bing, the Holy Spirit brings in the reality. And so what they start doing is saying, you better prepare yourself. The kingdom's coming. And they were able to take everything Jesus taught about that end time and put it into context. And we don't see them talking about when's the kingdom. Mm -hmm. uh, no more. The spirit is what opened them up to the truth. Wait, I'm, this might be really stupid, but you're saying they are asking when the when the kingdom's going to come, mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit like falls on them, and then they say the kingdom's coming. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't that mean that they are saying the material kingdom's coming? No. Do you know they, what I mean? They, they knew it was in harmony with how he described his kingdom, which is synonymous with his return. Mm. Okay. So he's about to ascend and they're saying, when, when is it going to come? When is this kingdom going to come? I think there they still thought it was a material mm -hmm. kingdom to fight against the rest of the world and emancipate uh, Jerusalem from the Roman mm -hmm. armies and everything else. Like Sterling's asking. Yeah. yeah. What indicates that after when they say the king, they start to realize when the Holy Spirit falls and they realize and they start preaching, what indicates to you that they know it's not that material thing because, anymore? Because, uh, well, Paul will say it's not yet. It's not yet. The kingdom's coming, but it's not yet. So through Paul, we know they weren't expecting this same kingdom to arrive. They also seem to be pointing to, in their language, this future day that coincided with the arrival of the kingdom and the return of Christ to reign and take his bride. They understood that by the spirit as apostles, mm. as evidenced by the fact that we don't have any more of these questions about when's the kingdom. It's mm. get ready. The kingdom is on its mm. way. Do you, mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Sort of. It's, it's, it's difficult. But. The idea of the kingdom, it's very hard for me to keep in my brain. Yeah. Like, it is because there's different ones. Sorry. Yeah. I don't mean to. Yeah. Yeah, there was the, the kingdom of the nation of Israel. They were mm -hmm. a kingdom. They had a king, David. And it was a material kingdom. Mm -hmm. And Jesus came in that vein. And mm -hmm. so the Jews thought, we're going to have another material kingdom. King Jesus is going to wipe out our enemies. 
but they put him to death on a cross like a reprobate. So like he wasn't the Messiah. The Jews are still waiting for that Messiah to show up. Mm -hmm. Bad religion sings when the only true Messiah rescues us from ourselves. That's when he's going to come back. They're waiting. They're waiting. Mm -hmm. Ignoring that he came and he instituted a spiritual kingdom under a new mm -hmm. heaven, a new earth with a new Jerusalem. And it's all spiritual. That's the difference. It hadn't arrived yet. Mm -hmm. It was going to commence in full at the same time Jesus returned. Do Christians now that are still waiting for his return, are they like the disciples where they think it's going to be material? Or do, yeah, are they, many of them do. They're waiting for... Like well, Jews? Uh, I don't know. The Jews still think that. They probably do because they're the ultimate material religion. But second line's the Mormons. The Mormons are Latter-day Saints. Mm -hmm. They are preparing the earth for the material arrival of the Messiah to come back and establish his kingdom on this earth materially. So they're so literally the same as the Jews. Literally the same. Current state yeah. of Christianity and yeah. Jews are the same in that they're waiting for the material kingdom to come back, except Christians think Jesus is going to bring it and Jews think the guy hasn't come yeah. to bring it. Same thing. And Mormons lead the pack on that idea of a material kingdom. Okay. And... But there are some Christians that aren't preterist or fulfillment people that think it's a spiritual kingdom. There's got to be. And I've not studied on what those who embrace that are, but there's got to be. Okay. There's too many uh, believers who would be able to understand the scriptures yeah. who aren't fulfillment people. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But my evidence for the kingdom being entirely spiritual and not physical is from the scripture mm. because God in Jeremiah says he'll write on the hearts and minds mm -hmm. and he'll say, no man will say, no, the Lord. Well, that's not material. Mm -hmm. And the writer of Hebrews says, Hey, listen, everything is going to be shaken in the former kingdom so that the only thing that remains cannot be shaken. Mm -hmm. Well, if it's material, men can be shaken, doctrine, buildings, their priesthood, all of that can be shaken, just like the Jews was. Mm -hmm. But a spiritual kingdom founded in a new heaven and a new earth with a new Jerusalem can't be touched. Mm -hmm. The writer of Hebrews also says in Hebrews 9, 6, that this kingdom cannot fully come until the former kingdom is gone, until the former tabernacle is gone. Mm -hmm. That's what it says. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, that tabernacle was leveled, gone mm -hmm. in 70 AD by the Roman armies. So what do uh, futurists say today, Christians? Let's rebuild that temple. Mm. We got to rebuild the material temple, you know, and they have this whole mythos growing to do that. And they're all about it. And they're sending money to Israel mm -hmm. to support Israel. So that's why the Christian right is so for Israel destroying Hamas today. Mm. And we have this complete thing still existing, but it's all false. Mm. Yeah. Wild. Wow. That is that episode. Hey, We're it was at, a good one too. It was a good one. Should we do them again? <laughs> maybe so. <laughs> yeah, make it as maybe. And to Matthew's happiness, I never know how to use the word chagrin, but to Matthew's chagrin, does mm -hmm. that mean he's happy? No, or chagrin he's means he's really bummed out. <laughs> well, to not to Matthew's chagrin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're at 27 minutes on this episode. Matthew, we've tried to accommodate you. 
And we do love you guys' questions. We're grateful you're even interested in at least this idiot. I know you'd be interested in her, but we're grateful that you're interested in this podcast. And we hope you'll share it with other people, especially young people. Mm -hmm. Because my daughter represents a generation and she's honest. She's like, I don't get it. I don't know if I believe it. I'm not sure this doesn't make sense. This is that generation, and this is why this is so important. Mm-hmm. Send it to your grandkids, to your kids, to these this generation, because she represents them. She's the mouth for them, and I think she's a pretty damn good representative. There's a lot coming in the next several months, so keep an eye out. Hang on with us. It's unfolding as we speak. See you later.